Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night. We thank you for your goodness and your love. We ask you to take this service and bless it, encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, that's one of those uh, prophets that nobody knows how to say, one of the books of the Bible. And uh, the best way I know how to pronounce it is Habakkuk. It actually means one who embraces or holds another one. And uh, that is just simply what the name means. I, I've called it the, the prophet who spoke to God and man. Uh, normally, God speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet speaks to man. But here, uh, we have that order reversed in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, and then Habakkuk. And then you get to Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And I, I mean, it just, uh, one of those little books stuffed in there and... Uh, normally, when you get to your Bible reading, you just go, let me get through that. I, I want you to know there are some real uh, gems stuck in this little book. In fact, some of the verses we quote a lot uh, are from the book of Habakkuk. We'll get there in a few minutes. How many of you have ever heard, the just shall live by faith, or by his faith is actually the Quotation in Habakkuk, three times in the Bible that phrase is used, and the first is in Habakkuk. And uh, there's just some wonderful things in here. Uh, Again, uh, we have no specific date. Habakkuk does not say in the year of, uh, as Isaiah did in some of his prophecies, as Jeremiah did in his uh, he did not mention any of the kings of Israel. Uh, he does mention the Chaldeans in the future tense. And so we believe that Habakkuk's prophecy was before the Chaldean armies came in. And uh, three times the armies of Babylon or the Chaldean armies would destroy Jerusalem, finally laying it level with the ground. And, and so uh, we would think this was happened before the first of those. So... That puts him maybe the end of Manasseh the king, maybe during the reign of Josiah. Uh, and uh, part of his uh, prophecy is rather unusual in the fact that he ends with a prayer. And if you look at chapter 3 real quickly here, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigionoth. And uh, you say, wow, what in the world does that mean? And uh, that phrase, uh, I am told, I am not a Hebrew scholar uh, by any means, but I can read the same books the Hebrew scholars read, amen. And uh, they say that that word is found twice in our Bible, if you want to turn and see the other one, in Psalm 7. Uh, This is a psalm of David, and uh, if your Bible has the titles in there, the little print before the psalm actually begins, it says, Shigeion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. And what that simply means, the best we understand, this is another one of those Words like 
Selah, and uh, the different abbreviations in the Psalms. And this one, the, the best understanding that I could drive by reading the other books, is a lament or a great emotional uh, upheaval, a sorrowful prayer. And read Psalm 7 later. You'll see that that fits the context of Psalm 7. And it also fits the prayer of Habakkuk. And uh, so... That's all the background and information we have on, on this man. But that, that would, the use of that term would intimate or give us an understanding that Habakkuk was at least one of the Levites. Uh, maybe of the family of Asaph who were the singers. Uh, it would be someone who was well acquainted with the scriptures and, and that would mean that he would be of the tribe of Levi to to order his book and to put it in the uh, pattern that it is, that we find it in. And so we just need to dive into the text because that's where everything is. In verse 1, it says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So what we're going to do is we're going to see what Habakkuk saw. He is just opening our eyes to see what his eyes saw. And he starts out, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee out of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and they, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Now, that is an incredible indictment of the world in which Habakkuk lived. This was not a good time. Now, unfortunately, for the history of Israel, as we read and in Sunday school, we're going through the, the books of Second Kings and, and Chronicles right now, and we're coming toward the end uh, of the uh, nation of Israel as a nation. And then uh, just a little while later, we're going to have the end of Judah as they're carried off into captivity. These words will fit more than one king of Judah, more than one time period. And so what Habakkuk is doing is he's talking to God. He says, God, I'm praying and you're not hearing me. I'm crying out because of violence and destruction upon thy people. And Lord, you refuse to do anything. Now, that's a scary time to be in, is it not? And yet, we have different places in the Bible. Jeremiah is told not to pray for this people because God's not going to hear you. God's not going to answer you because His judgment is coming and it is going to come. And I think Habakkuk's... Uh, uh, prayer here and his 
His questioning is is very apropos for our time because if you've read the book of Revelation, you understand the prophecy at all. Things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. And God's prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Sometimes I wonder if we, in our love for our country and peace and the tranquility that is our unique heritage as Americans, that we might uh, need just a warning to be careful that we're not praying against the fulfillment of the prophecies of God. And so Haggai is, is just simply asking the question, why? How long is this going to go on, Lord? And, and he makes a statement here. He says, there's spoiling, there's violence, uh, there's those that raise up strife and contention. And because this is going on in Israel, look at verse 4. It says, the law is slack. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like today's headlines now, doesn't it? I mean, our problem in America is not that we don't have enough laws. We have way too many laws. And we, we live in an age where people think that the way to solve a problem is to pass another law. Now, let me ask you a question. Since when has passing a law stopped any aberrant behavior? You see, the law's purpose is not to stop wrong behavior. Never has been, never will be, never can be. The law's purpose is to convict the guilty. And when the law is enforced, that's when people have peace. But when the law is slacked, That's when society has trouble. And every trouble that we look at in our society today is attached to the fact that you can get away with it. I mean, all I have to do is mention one name, O.J. Simpson. Did he really get away with it? Not really. He's in jail now. Probably will die there. We don't know. Uh, what a mess. But that was what people say. Bill Clinton, he got away with it, didn't he? Well, he didn't get punished by the law. He, they weren't enforced at all. And But only in very small circles is he a greatly respected man. He is looked down upon. He is, his reputation... And and there are people that still hold it high, but they are few and far between and getting fewer, it seems, which isn't bad news, but we'll just keep moving. It says, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Uh, If you want to know what happened in Indiana, that's what happened in Indiana. The wicked compassed about the righteous, therefore... Wrong judgment proceeded. Habakkuk's day, wow, so much like ours, is it not? And we have to understand that 
God's judgment, God will judge. And now we look at verse 5, and God answers him. He says, Behold ye among the heathen in regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. God says, I want you to look at the heathen. I'm going to do something so incredible that if I told you it was going to happen before it happened, you're not going to believe me. And so, uh, let's take note of what this is that is going to happen. He says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and they are, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar and they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up the, as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand and they shall scoff at the kings and at the princes shall be scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap up dust and take it. Now, this describes the Chaldeans. And it's an amazing thing, as it is said in the book of Habakkuk, that this is something that you would marvel at and something you wouldn't believe. Because when you study history... It's amazing how modern historians write history. They talk, they want to talk about the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire was, uh, the, the first quote unquote great empire, uh, of the East. Uh, it, it, uh, you have the, what is known as the Code of Hammurabi and you have all of these things that they talk about, how that Assyria grew and became stronger and stronger and, then all of a sudden they just disappeared and up came the Babylonians and took over everything that belonged to the Assyrians. And the historians love to play down the part of the Babylonians. And I, and I kind of like that because it just fits in. God says, listen, even if I told you, you're not going to believe it. And God did tell through, through Habakkuk's prophecy here that it was going to happen. And modern historians, I remember... Uh, talking to a guy who claimed to be really learned and, and listened to a show one time. And they said, who are the Babylonians? All you Bible people make such a big deal of the Babylonians. And, and they only existed for three generations. It was the Assyrians. And he, he went on to wax eloquent. But how great were the Babylonians that in less than a generation just completely swallowed up the Assyrian Empire. I like the Bible, amen. I prefer it over uh, the others. And he talks about how that they're going to, to be strong and they're going to scoff at the kings and scorn the princes and that there's no stronghold that's going to stand against them. And certainly that was the case. Uh, you have the little island of... Um, Tyre that sat out in the sea, Nebuchadnezzar came up and they laughed at him and said, you'll never take us. And they cut off the bridge between the land and the sea and they stood there and uh, taunted him. And 
It, history tells us that Nebuchadnezzar's army scraped the very dust of the land and every bit of debris they could find and built a causeway out to that island and leveled it with the ground. Those, those are some of the pro- other prophecies that are in the Bible. And even to this day, all they do on that island that used to be in charge of the entire Mediterranean commerce is let the fishermen dry their nets. Just like the Bible says. And so we have the coming of the Chaldeans. And again, we say this, this would put Habakkuk before the Chaldeans came. But where we want to go is we want to go to, uh, well, let's get verse 11 in. And then verse 12 is where the first of these several gems really start coming into Habakkuk's prophecy. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this, his power unto his God. Now, how many of you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? This is great Babylon, which I have built. And he ended up acting like an ox for the next seven years, laying out in the field, eating grass. It says his hair was grown as eagle feathers and his fingernails. No one could come up to him and even trim his fingernails for seven years. And then all of a sudden he woke up and God put him back on the throne. It's an amazing, amazing story in the book of Daniel. And yet it's prophesied right here. And now we get into verse 12 through the end of the chapter. It says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Do you get it? Habakkuk says, I understand who you are, God. You're not going anywhere. You're from eternity past to eternity future. And there are promises to Israel. And even though all these horrible things are happening, and you're going to bring the Chaldeans down, and they're going to do even more horrible things to the nation of Israel, we're not going to be wiped out. Now, that stands in contrast with the prophecies that are in your Bible concerning Edom, concerning several other people groups that God says, I'm going to eradicate them from the pages of history. And Habakkuk is trusting in God in the midst of this uh, trial and this trouble, and he understands, and he puts it down, that God is going to use the Chaldeans to judge God's people. Why? Because God is holy. Look at the next verse. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? And then he goes on to describe the foolishness of men. It says, And makest men as fishes of the sea and as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. It says, God, you've made men just like a school of fish. 
You know, that's what we call fish as they travel in a school, but who's the teacher? And, and you have the ants and the creeping things, uh, grasshoppers, and, who will swarm and just go over a land. Uh, in Africa, uh, they used to have the plagues of the driver ants that would just come in and obliterate every living thing in their path. Uh, South America had these things in its history too. It was a uh, a force to be reckoned with. And yet, look what it says here. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat is plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to, to slay the nations? And so here is Habakkuk saying, listen, this nation, these people that have arisen for judgment, they're just like the fishermen that put their net in and they grab them up. And you know what they do? They say, my net has gotten me food. Therefore, I'm going to worship my net. And we have things go on today. We have people saying, by my brain, I've manipulated Wall Street and I've gotten money. And what do they worship? Themselves. I mean, the foolishness of man is put right here. And some people would say, well, this is a pretty cynical uh, understanding of history, well, I, I disagree with that because we get to chapter 2 and Habakkuk is going to tell everyone his answer to this world in which we live where it seems that God is not answering his prayer. Where God is letting all these horrible things go on and not dealing with it, and then promising even more horrible things to come upon there. And he, he seems to ask the question, the Chaldeans are totally wicked and evil people, and they're judging your people Israel for their sin. God, why don't you get them first? They're worse. But the principle in God's Word is God deals with His own people first and foremost because God uses the righteous to convict the wicked of the presence of God. And when the righteous, when Israel stopped living and stopped having a testimony that God could use to take his message to the world, he had to judge his people. Are we together? That's a hard thing. But you see, God is interested in one thing. He's interested in people in this world knowing who he is. And that, that idea, those thoughts are echoed throughout the entire New Testament. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If the salt has lost its saltiness, he says it's no good. It's not even worth a trip to the garbage dump. 
We just throw it out the back door and it's trodden under the feet of men. It says judgment's going to begin where? At the house of God. And so Habakkuk understands this because now he changes his tone. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And we're going to try to get through the whole chapter, the whole book tonight, three chapters. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And so what Habakkuk said was, I'm going to get prepared. Because God is going to reprove me. God is going to give me correction. I need to be able, I need to be prepared to hear what God has to say and then answer Him. And and the idea of answering God when He reproves us is not our, our lawyerly idea of giving some excuse why it's okay to do the things that God said not to do in the first place. You know, I don't know where that comes from, but it seems like every one of my kids is injected with a lawyer gene or something because you say, now listen, this is the way it ought to be, but Dad, you don't understand. I said, what am I? Are you a lawyer or what? I said, I'm not asking for a discussion. I've already told you what is wrong. Now let's get the problem solved. That's what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, I'm going to set a watch. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to climb the tower. I'm going to be ready to hear. Now here's the Lord's answer in verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. He says, Habakkuk, I want you to write what you're seeing out. And one of the reasons why Habakkuk starts the way he starts this thing is because this has all been revealed to him and he is writing it down. He says, this is the burden of what I see. I started by crying out to God for all the problems that are going on and it seems like God is not answering me and He's not stopping the the flow of wickedness in our society. But I understand something. The Chaldeans are coming. It's going to get worse. Because God has to judge His people. And He tells Habakkuk to write it plain so he that readeth it can run. So he that understands what God's word says can prepare himself to escape God's judgment. And we look at verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, doesn't that sound like something that we need to hear? I mean, we're waiting for the Lord to come back. Amen? It's going to happen. You'd better be ready. What did Jesus say in the parable of the servant? He said, if that servant is watching when when his Lord comes... 
He's going to sit down. He's going to serve that servant. But if that servant begins to say in his heart that my Lord delays his coming and to eat and drink with the drunken and to beat the other servants, that God is going to appoint him his place, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what that says, not that you can lose your salvation, but those that have salvation are going to be watching for the Lord to come. They're going to be prepared, just like the passage here, that they may run that readeth it. And it says, Behold, verse 4, Behold the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. There's our one of our great gems in this book. Behold the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Now, we have a lot of that going on today. It seems like everybody's got to write a book today. And if you really want to be somebody, you've got to write a book. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm not promising that I'll never write a book, but I have no intention of ever writing a book except... I would like to write a little pamphlet on the history of what God has done to build our church. I wouldn't mind doing that. But I don't want to just write another book because there are so many books out there on how to be successful. The habits of, what is it, seven habits of successful people or something like that. And then there's uh, how to order your life. And then there's... uh, uh, um, I got a book years ago. I, somebody sent me a book club thing. I said, okay, I'll join this. And I saw, oh, how to have perfect grammar in your letters. I said, well, I could use that, so I'll get that. And how to organize your time. And I said, oh, wow. Now, all these books are free. And then I ordered two or three others. And, and I remember opening the book on the organization book. And I said, boy, I'm going to read this one first. And I'm going to get organized. And it said... If you have da-da-da-da-da, and it listed just perfectly where it was, it says you just have too much to do. And I slammed the book and put it back on my... It's still in there somewhere. I haven't thrown it out yet. But tell me something I don't already know. Amen? Uh, I think the Lord wants us to have too much to do. Because it forces us to get on our knees like Habakkuk did. And say, Lord, you got to change some things. And the Lord's answer is going to be what it says. You read, you make it plain. Because he that is upright, that he that, let me read it right here. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. I am so weary of people telling me they have the answer. Here's the answer. The just shall live by his faith. That's the answer. Faith, what is faith? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith is hearing God's word and doing it. That's how you got saved. Amen? That ought to be how you got baptized. How you became a member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, I'll tell you, that's how my family, uh, when 
when we were making our decisions of, uh, in life, that's how we moved to Astoria, was by faith. The just shall live by faith. Did you have a plan when you came here? No, I had a prayer. Lord, give us a church, a real church. You know what? The Lord answered that prayer. So what's the next prayer? Lord, give us another one. And he sent Brother Hiram Davis. Amen. Lord, give us another one. We got Brother Newberger. Lord, give us another one. And we're looking at the future here. That Hey, that's faith. There isn't a lot of things that God has told us to do. Support missionaries. Praise God. Sometime right in this neighborhood, and I'm sorry, I haven't figured it out, and I'm probably not going to worry about it, but sometime for the 1st of May, we should break that million-dollar mark in our missions giving. Now, that's a a milestone to be commemorated. And all that money has gone out. We, We haven't kept a penny for ourselves. We don't even use our mission money to pay for the checks that we print for the missions account. That comes out of the general fund. Uh, That's the way it ought to be. You know what? God told us to do those things. The just shall live by his faith. You know, don't waste your life trying to figure it out. You ever try to figure it out? Why the world is so wicked and why people like to do things and why people won't listen to the gospel and why people will, will believe Joel Osteen and not believe their Bible and why people will uh, uh, listen to Benny Hinn and, and, and uh, not show up at a Bible preaching church? Why do people... Uh, don't try to figure it out. The just shall live. There's a personal pronoun in there. You see, no one can have faith for you, and you can't have faith for anyone else. Your faith has got to be yours. It's between you and God. Amen? And we have that verse stuck in the middle of this, and then he goes on, and we're going to have to move kind of quickly and summarily over a lot of this stuff, but he now begins to pronounce woe. Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, verse 5, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Now, again, he's talking about the king of Babylon, and what he's going to do, and he's never going to be satisfied, but doesn't it sound like, Wall Street, somebody, I think it was Rockefeller, several other people have been attributed. How much money is enough? And the answer was, just another dollar. Because no matter how much money you have, it's not enough. I mean, I think about our former mayor, arguably one of the 25, 50 most uh, richest people on the face of the earth. Now, if you'd acquired all that wealth, why do you want to be mayor of New York City? Why would you want all those problems? Because power is more than money. Why do you want to control what people drink? 
I mean, why should the mayor be uh, concerned over whether you drink Diet Coke or regular Coke? It's that whole thing of control and power. It's what men desire. Uh, If you want communism in one sentence, it's the desire to control everything only to find out once you have everything, there's nothing left. That's communism in a sentence. It's reduced the world's one of the world's greatest wheat-producing regions, the Ukraine, to a place where if America doesn't send food to that country, they can't feed their own people today. It's an it's an amazing thing. Communism never goes anywhere, and yet. Look what it says is going to happen to Babylon. It says the very people that he has taken to himself and controlled. And uh, the Bible says, woe to him in verse six that increaseth that which is not his. How long unto him that ladeth himself with thick clay shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee. And thou shalt be booties unto them, because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee, because of men's blood and for violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Then we go to verse 9. Woe to him that coveteth with an evil covetousness to his house. The man that tries to build a legacy and a name for himself. And we go down to verse 12. Uh, Well, let's get verse 11. This is one of those ones that you're going to repeat. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. You, You can't build anything that will last by evil. And then the town or the city built with blood. And established by iniquity, God pronounces a woe to that. Verse 15, woe to him that giveth his neighbor to drink, that leads others to intoxication and and to uh, drunkenness. And we could put the drug addicts in there. The drug pushers go in that category as well. And verse 18, for what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and the teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, arise. And if he were prophesying today to the bank account and to the, to the stock funds and to the, the, the uh, leverage and all of the future funds that people hold, Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know what? God hasn't gone anywhere. He has not changed. I love that song the Marshall family sings. God has not changed. Uh, He is ever the same. I love the hymn, yesterday, today, forever. Glory to his name. Amen. We need to understand that those people that are prospering through wickedness 
and even destroying and confounding the people of God for their judgment because they're not serving God either. God is still in His temple. Then we get to His prayer. And this is the last chapter of the book. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. There's another one of those incredible gems in the prophecies of Habakkuk. Lord, in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. And you know what? God does. And God is. And God would give the nation of Israel the days of Josiah, where the boy king would seek the Lord and wipe out the idolatry of Israel and go to Bethel where the uh, calf that Jeroboam had built was destroy, and destroy it and lay waste the, and, uh, all of the false worship and call people back to serve God. But then would come his son Jehoiakim, his son Zedekiah, and the end of the nation. God still made a way. And when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem for the last time and led the people out in chains, guess who got set free from the chains? Jeremiah, the prophet of God. And he was specifically mentioned and freed and and gave freedom. And yet, we have Daniel and his three friends in the highest levels of the government when the Medes took over uh, from the Babylonians, uh, the Medes and, uh, and the Persians, and gave the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. We have Nehemiah, the cupbearer. Later, we have Esther, the queen. And we have Mordecai, who is the second in command to King Ahasuerus in the days of Esther. You see, God is always working His mercy to those who will, like Habakkuk, watch and wait and listen. Amen? And so he goes on and he talks about the, the judgment that he is going to bring. But look with me down through verse 12. It says, Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou wounded the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. And there we see that the psalmist term Selah in the midst of his prayer. And verse 15, Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at thy voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Now we get to the last three verses. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. 
The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, I want you to stop right there. Don't read yet further. That's utter desolation. There's nothing to eat. There's no food, no substance. If all of these things were to come by, uh, happen at the same time, he said, there's no meat in the field, there's no figs, there's no olives, there's no grapes. And he said, cut off the, the fold, there's no herd in the stalls. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength and will make my feet like hind's feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Now, Habakkuk wrote this prayer the same as the Psalms that are recorded in the book of Psalms. This was meant to be sung. This was meant to be repeated. And this ending course to this prayer, he he starts out, Lord, remember your mercy in wrath. And then he ends it by saying, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm still going to rejoice in you. Because you're my strength. You're everything that I have. I will not let from me and uh, move from you. And he says, you will make my feet like hind's feet. Now, the hind is a small deer. You know what? Those, they didn't travel in, in big herds and things like that. They, they lived in the mountains. He says, look, thou will make me to walk upon mine high places. He says, even if the whole land is forsaken... I'm going to rejoice in God because God is going to take care of me. He is going to keep me. He is going to allow me to serve Him. You know what? That's a promise that we can grab a hold of. That's something that we can understand. Habakkuk lived in an evil day. And guess what? It was going to get worse. It was going to get a lot worse. And he said, I'm going to set up myself, I'm going to watch, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to give warning. And God gave that warning. He said, I want you to make this plain. And Habakkuk said, I can't make it any more plain than to write a psalm that could be sung. Something we can teach the nation to sing. That they may understand that God is still God, regardless of what goes on in this world. And that if you will follow him and be true to him, he will keep his own. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for the prophecy of Habakkuk. Lord, we ask that you would help us to take warning. There's so many things we can see. Through the eyes of Habakkuk, they're going on today right here in the nation and the people in the city in which we live. Lord, we ask that we would allow our hearts to be anchored upon you and your word, that we would be 
the just, that live by the faith that is in our own souls. Lord, that we would be able to walk on those high places, not because our hearts are lifted up, but because of our total dependency upon you. We ask you to work in our lives. Help us to read and take warning and understand that you are not answerable to us, but we most certainly are answerable to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a moment. If you'd like to slip out and pray, 